0: OK, we'll make a start and uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, I suppose it's not too late to still say Happy New Year to people. Good morning. Uh, and uh, and welcome back uh, to uh, to the restart of our <laughs> Leaders Series events, uh, where we invite a, a leader from Greater Manchester, could be a political leader or someone from business, to come along and spend the next 30 minutes talking about themselves, their work, and a little uh, further look at some of the issues uh, affecting Greater Manchester. We are going to be recording this, or we are recording this, and we'll be uh, publishing it uh, through our Leader Series podcasts and also on the Chamber YouTube channel uh, sometime in the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, so please look out for that. Uh, our last guest, I think it was the beginning of December last year, was Karen Smart, uh, the Managing Director of Manchester Airport, and today's guest is someone who is who's actually very familiar with the Airport, or was at one time, probably... Been through there more times than than he cursed to uh, to remember. And I'd like to welcome our first guest for the 2022 Leaders Series, Wayne Jones, OBE, member of the executive board, of global sales and after sales for MANES. Wayne, good morning. Great to see you.
1: Hi, Chris. Good to see you. You okay?
0: Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Good. Not too bad at all. Um, before we start, I suppose it'd it, be a good place to, to, to start <laughs> off really with a, a brief sort of overview of your career. Uh, and the role that led you to to the role that you're in
1: now at the present moment in time. Sure, yeah. Um, I guess if you go way back, I I left school, probably not so impressive results, a couple of CSEs as they were then on an O-level, and then didn't really uh, spend the time I should have done in looking for the right job. So um, did a youth training scheme, as they were called there in engineering, and um, I didn't really connect to it that well. And luckily enough, I had a, a good careers teacher who then got me on a... An engineering industrial training board scheme in, at British Aerospace in Woodford, as it was. Unfortunately, like many engineering companies, it's now gone. Uh, and that was a full-time apprenticeship, uh, which which was good. Although it was, of course, um, a different compensation scheme than the uh, than the British Air, Aerospace apprentices got then. But then, what it did was, if there was any apprenticeship jobs going around the country or around Greater the Manchester, then you you got first kind of connected to it. So then, full-time apprenticeship at Mother and Blacks, Again, another company that's unfortunately gone by the wayside. They were a pump company based in in New Neath in Manchester. Then basically, it was a great company to work for, quite entrepreneurial, um, really flexible. Uh, And then sort of developed my career there, did my degree in engineering and manufacturing um, on a a day release system through the University of Manchester, sometime at Stockport College, a little bit at Salford and and other places. And then uh, sort of went into... Yeah, the office area, doing some sort of mechanical analysis work, which wasn't really for me, to be honest, but it was a stepping stone and something that I had to do, really, because I did my degree. And then then ended up doing a lot of um, uh, support of the equipment in the field, which was super interesting because you were sort of going to sites. Obviously, the equipment wasn't working, and you had to try and fix it, whether it be vibration problems or some other issue. And then, uh, yeah, get the equipment back and running. So that was really a, a great learning curve because you were pretty much on your own you know you went to site something was broken and then you, you got to fix it uh, which was great and then sort of uh, I had a really good boss at the time as well who sort of moved me around I was in project management and then found myself supporting like an after sales role and then um, then joined a Swiss company called Sulzer in uh, 94 I think it was um, and then yeah I think my career took off from there really Swiss quite a interesting way that they manage and lead businesses quite um quite different actually to to working for a uk company and then sort of progressed and then ended up running the europe middle east and africa on an after sales role which was i think i was 31 at the time um it'd be called ages of now chris because they were saying oh you're not young enough, you're not old enough to do this and then i went through all kind of assessment center which was also great experiences and that really then got me connected a lot into the leadership side so I ran that managed to grow and develop that yeah, quite successfully, and then got headhunted to join um, to join MAN in 2005. And uh, uh, probably even to this day, I don't know why I took the job actually, because it was a real <laughs> challenge in, in, in one respect. The company was hemorrhaging money. I think my first account in 2005 was uh, a turnover of 70 million and, uh, and uh, not a profit, a loss of uh, minus 48 million. So you don't have to be a financial whiz kid to work out that there's some serious issues there. So we did a massive restructuring uh, exercise, got the company back on its feet. Um, I think the year after, similar turnover, 15 million profits. So it was quite a big turnaround, but a lot of major surgery. And it's really pleasing to see that that company is still going today uh, with similar kind of figures. So I think the longevity was there. And I think that was like a bit of a springboard for me because then... They asked me to lead the global after-sales business. We got that going from 630 million to a billion in three years. Super interesting time, opening 10 companies a year all over the globe. We've got 140 locations now. I think we had 30 when I started, so totally different for restructuring to a massive growth spurt, you know, almost money, no object. It was really good. And that business now is about 1.3 billion, so it's gone on again. And then... um, I think you you remember the advert, if Carlsberg had Octobers, then in October 15, I had a Carlsberg moment because I got president of Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce, letter from the Queen about my OBE and promoted to the board of uh, diesel and turbo, was it called then, and started that job 1st of January, 2016. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So, yeah. So that's in a nutshell, without boring people, that's that's basically the, the journey, yeah? There's a, there's
0: a lot to fit in, I always felt like, uh, so
1: us today, Wayne,
0: and, and that's, a, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, it's a fantastic story because, it, and it always impresses me, and I've, I've, you know, obviously we've worked for a good number of years now, whenever I hear it, it is just, uh, just, just so impressive. And a couple of things, because obviously you were the first British member of the executive board, weren't you? to, to, to yeah, sit was, on that yeah. which uh, yeah. which which is obviously a, a big thing and I just want to yeah. touch on that about that whole sort of business culture bit really between yeah. you know sort of being involved in a in a sort of German company at that level you mentioned it previously uh, with a Swiss company and whatever what, what are the key differences between that and a British company you know is it just yeah. about attitude is it about processes or, or what 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 is you know what what are the main differences
1: yeah, I mean, we in MAN Energy Solutions, we're a very international-based company. I mentioned 140 locations around the world. Part of the Volkswagen Group, which I would say are more, let's say, German-centric and, and, of course, massive company, 550,000 employees, 250 billion turnover, so a huge company. Uh, and and when we were taken over by Volkswagen, yeah, it was a bit different at first because um, you saw the dynamics change a little bit. You know, I mean, the, the main difference, I mean, culturally, it's different. I mean, Denmark's different to UK. UK is different to Germany. Um, very process-orientated, which is a great strength in a, in a German manufacturing company, of course. That's why, you know, they can produce 8,000 cars a day out of one plant in Wolfsburg. You know, really high-level engineering and systematic. Um, probably less international than, than we are as a division. Uh, you know, very strong in China, but in other areas not so. But the, like working with every nation, you see the, the, the differences. And I would say um, yeah, there's, um, there's some things that need to change in Germany. There's still got some kind of old school approaches where, you know, you would use the family name. I know it's only a small example, but it would be Mr. Flechter and Mr. Jones. Now, even though maybe we've known each other for five, ten years, it's quite formal in that respect. I think that needs to change a bit. And then what I've been trying to work on a lot is to break some of them hierarchical gaps, you know, the board down to the senior management, down to the people, because I think, you know, one of the great strengths of a company is when you can get much more connection in in the leadership and moving much more from, I can remember the previous board I reported into, it was more ivory tower than I would say we are now as a board because we've actively worked to try and change that. And I think that's one of the major differences. It's very formal. Um, that there's uh, good respect, which is which is fine, but I think um, it, you know it it doesn't necessarily allow itself to be challenging, which it should be. I mean, we, we just happen to be on the board. It doesn't mean we're always going to be right. We also need to be challenged ourselves as well, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: and and looking a little bit further afield, I mean, you mentioned 140 sites throughout the world, and and obviously you know coverage obviously had an impact on yep. travel and one thing and another. Uh, but you've worked and been and had contact with people from all sorts of different cultures right across the world. As, as a, I mean, you are a, also a great amount of global ambassador, aren't you, as well as, yeah. as, uh, as, as part of this, as well as doing the day job, as it were. Yep. Uh, do you think that global culture is, is a really key part of this? Cause when businesses are looking to trade overseas, uh, uh, sometimes they think you know, it can all be done remotely just send a few emails off to people, you get the job done, that's it, you know, we're all on Zoom these days. Uh, Culture is such an important part of doing business, isn't it? And and obviously, post-Brexit, you can see that being even more important. Is that something we're a bit lacking in this country? What's your experience of of the
1: culture? I I think I think the UK as a country is extremely international in the way we've traded, of course, our history, et cetera, et cetera. But I think we, we shouldn't underplay that that cultural differences. I mean, I mean, you can always talk about the extremes. I would say internationalization brings the norm a little bit closer together, but you still have those differences. I mean, if you go to do business in Japan, you clearly recognize the big differences in Japan. And there was a, I think it was uh, maybe one of the US presidents that famously took a, a business card of a Japanese and just put it in his pocket, yeah, which you would never do. You know, typically in Japan you take the card, you read it, you know, it's a very formal kind of process. And those little things in business mean a great deal to people and, and we should recognize and, and work with those differences. Yeah. But of course, over the decades we become everybody becomes a little bit more international. So the extremes become less. But there's uh, there's never any replacement for direct and personal contact. Huh? No,
0: no, no. So, totally agree. Absolutely it's, uh, spot on. And what just obviously looking now, uh, you know, we're we still at the back end, hopefully of, of Plan B with COVID and mm. new rules with Brexit or whatever. What what sort of impact has obviously COVID and and Brexit? Um, yeah. one you could possibly plan for maybe in Brexit, but obviously COVID's came out to the yeah. blue two years ago what sort of impact has that had on on the business
1: yeah i mean it's quite strange when you look back actually i mean we, we started a, a fairly sizable restructuring program pre pre-covid uh, not for any covid reasons not for any business reasons but just to prepare ourselves in a better way for the future so during these last few years we, we've basically gone through a big restructuring program also reorganized the company, changed our complete organization structure and developed a new strategy and basically um, changed the board. I think 60% of the members of the board are brand new. So it's been an unbelievable two years through. And then COVID hit us and Brexit hit etc. Of course, uh, 20 was a big drop. Uh, so we dropped our our... Our top line by about 30% really had problems in, in profitability. Actually, uh, 21, we, we, won't, we haven't got the full results yet, only provisional results, but this has shown a recovery, 30% back. So we're back to sort of 2019 levels in terms of, uh, in terms of our volumes. But what's significantly interesting, because of the restructuring, we're in a much better shape in terms of profitability. So we, we actually, maybe it was a bit of luck, but doing that restructuring exercise before COVID hit has helped us. And, um, and and you know, the amazing thing for me in 21 is that the, the you know, the level of the business, um, you know, carried on because we were thinking, okay, COVID's going to restrict us. But, you know, oh, having 140 locations around the world, huge benefit because nobody could travel to Panama, but we've got 30 people in Panama that can su- su- support our business. Nobody could travel to New Zealand, but we've got 20 people in New Zealand. So... That globalisation really worked for us, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, you made a important point there. I think because the sector has been used going back decades of having to restructure, restructure, yeah. restructure. When things do happen, sometimes yeah. the recovery out of that is a little less uh, yeah. less impactful, isn't it? Really, because yeah. it's you, you're in a constant sort of state of uh, of change, really. Yeah. Obviously, what one one of the speaking of change, I mean, obviously one one of the the big things, and we we've. We did a podcast back end of November, didn't we, about net zero uh, yep. and the impact on the back of COP26 and whatever. And obviously this is something that is, I would suggest, probably a top priority for, for MAN Energy Solutions. Yep. What what What's the journey sort of been through that period? You mentioned previously, it used to be, MAN Diesel and Turbo, which is uh, which yeah. is uh, an interesting uh, company name to to contend with now. But obviously that that's all changed. How much of a priority is it the net zero bit, and how much of it is being fed into future business plans and yeah. and, and uh, innovation for the company?
1: Yeah, I mean massive change. So as I said, I joined the board in January 16, and and we really sat down and said, you know, we've got some big challenges here. You know, we're the biggest diesel manufacturer in the world. If you take in the terms of um, in terms of size of engines, in terms of uh, global coverage, and and this is going to change, and it might not change overnight, but we need to 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 rethink and we change the company name. Sounds like a small thing to do, Chris. I mean, you know, Rudolf Diesel invented the diesel engine in Augsburg in 1897. Yeah, we have a plaque on our site on our test bed with his name on. This is where that engine was produced. So. You know in terms of change management this was a massive change uh, for people so but you couldn't have diesel in the name um might not be right might not be wrong but it just was that that perception that image so that was the first thing but it's not just about the name change then it's about a complete revamp of our portfolio you know we don't produce in 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 a three-year time period we've gone from producing complete diesel uh, run engines to minimum now of dual fuel engines and that's a, a massive exercise our r d spend was about 11 of our turnover so huge investment massive risk of course always questions when you're making such a big change and also change the organization fundamentally as well to give much more strength outside of germany which of course causes other cultural challenges because that's a massive change for everybody but we have to recognize that as um, as human race we're going through the biggest change that any human has ever experienced and then that's that's where we have to be so digitization and decarbonization is the absolute pillars of our future strategy
0: mm. and and you're doing some world leading work aren't you very very yeah. close to Manchester as well yeah with, yeah it's uh, in Carrington if you just want to let people know about it. I think it was mentioned last week I think in the Guardian as well wasn't it They yeah. picked up on some of the story you just give a, a quick overview of that for, uh, for people today
1: yeah. So of course, you know, typically in many countries, you know, coal has played a big part in, uh, in, in, in power generation. Of course, we all know the the CO2 footprint of that is not where we need to be. So this is a new technology, uh, liquid air energy storage. So in very fundamental terms, it takes air, compresses air, reduces the temperature around about minus 200 degrees C. That liquefies the air. You can then store it in tanks as a liquid. And and very basically, when you need that power, you reverse the process, and you can basically then put power into a grid or use it as a unique system, etc. So we we've got that as the world world leading technology, the first of its world ever in Carrington. Similar technology with um, electrothermal energy storage, first ever its kind, has just been uh, it's just been built now in uh, in Esberg in Denmark. And then on top of that, we've put the second we did the first as well uh this is subsea compression equipment this is off the coast of australia so you basically instead of having to have an oil rig you can put a module on the seabed um nearly uh, a mile down in sea depth and obviously that allows you to get better process conditions because we still need gas as a transition fuel so you still need to do that but of course it's got massive benefits in terms of safety because there's no human intervention cosmetically you don't see any old platforms sticking out of the uh, out of the sea etc and then process wise it allows you to get closer to where the uh, uh, basically the gas field is so so yeah lots of innovation at the moment which is great really great news for us
0: yeah no that's that's really good and and again that sort of you know it is the first uh, example of this in the world like I said and it's 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 on the doorstep in uh, in carrington i just want to go back now to the the sort of skills bit and a a little bit around you know your entry into the uh into the sector as well which was through an apprenticeship Mm. how how important to say how relevant are apprenticeships in in the current workplace and 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 in the current labor market
1: i mean i think they're super critical and an absolute I'm totally convinced apprenticeships is, is, the, is one of the ways forward. I mean, okay, you know, university is, is also a path, but it doesn't mean everybody should go to university. We need a balance in any, in any environment. You need balance, you know, and, and also the skill sets that we need, need some kind of balance as well. And, um, and I don't want to say one's better than the other, but just to give you an example. So I did my apprenticeship yeah, a long time ago, of course, but you can still do similar apprenticeships. Then I did my degree all paid for, all sponsored for by the company. Okay. In those days, Chris, if you didn't pass your exams, then they took the money back <laughs> off you, which is a bit of an incentive as well. But the, you know, the great benefit, I was, I was still earning a salary. I was still in the company four days a week, one day a week at university. Yeah. So the four days a week, I didn't re- recognize it at the time as much, but you get much more acceptance in the workforce you're not a graduate that comes and thinks he knows everything you know you're, you're sort of one of the team already you just disappear one day a week to go and, yeah to go and uh, fulfill your educational requirements so i think there's so many good things about it and i think it makes you significantly more rounded and grounded yeah you're not you know you, you don't go to university i could imagine some will go there come back think everything's great know everything you're in the day-to-day stuff and, and also in this sector, you know things change quite quickly. So you're in and about the change as well. You're not just going away for three years or going away on sandwich courses. You're you're in and about the innovation as well. So for me, it's a it's a great path forward, and we encourage and we employ apprentices today in the UK and in Germany and in most countries. We put in a big program, and and we think it's um it's the lifeblood of our company. Yeah, that's
0: no, so important. And again, sort of building on from that, and again talked about the change that's happening in the sector, not just in, in the engineering manufacturing sector, but right yeah. across industry at at, at present. Um, how easy is it to, to make sure that people are coming in with with the skill sets they need, not just for now, but for the future? Yeah. There's also that bit as well, isn't there, around how do you upskill the current workforce as well? Yeah. Because you've obviously got you know some some people that are you know long served in in the industry suddenly having to develop and adapt to different things how easy is that uh, to to do uh to, to fulfill that
1: yeah i mean it's not easy but you know the only the only things wrong with the word impossible it's got two letters in too many yeah because everything's possible yeah we can fly things on mars like we've seen recently so it, it, you've got to put some effort in you've got to have a plan you've got to be willing to spend some money but it's an investment you know f- for the long term and uh, and you're right we need to upskill the existing workforce as well bring in young clever minds that are going to you know generate future ideas it, it's a massive change and uh, and and i think what's even more important is the velocity of the change you know the speed of change is, is it's just like we've never seen it before yeah so um, speed is going to be one of the, the, the real currencies. And I think flexibility and, and agility is going to be absolutely the currency of, uh, of businesses going forward. And for that, you need, you know, bright minds to be able to adapt to that situation. And I think the only big, one of the biggest challenges at the moment is just the, um, yeah, really the, everybody wants kind of similar skills, whether it be digital or, or whatever. And therefore that resource is quite, quite slim. And uh, we're finding some some challenges in certain functions that are making it difficult for us, yeah.
0: And I know one of the things, I mean, we've had all sorts of conversations about this, is is that ability to inspire young people as well, yep. isn't it? Because, yeah, yeah. Um, when you say, you know, when you use the phrase an engineering apprenticeship, it creates yeah. all sorts of images in people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. I know you find that frustrating. I can see now. It drives you, me you, crazy. You, yeah. You're beginning to bristle about it. <laughs> so I, yeah. I don't want to upset you, but how I, I, I'm important it? I mean, you, I, I get the sense that you say this is some sort of a. a you know a private passion of yours to, to yeah, really yeah. inspire you and younger the better as well isn't yeah it, really it's Just like a
1: crusade it. for me Chris this yeah. absolutely yeah <laughs> no because this image in it it's engineering it's you know overalls it's blue collar worker it's terminology that's used in Europe I mean it's totally wrong in the sector you know it's it's one of the most diverse sectors um, it's uh, it's one of the sectors that you know, we'll drive change. I mean, A to Z airplanes to zips and engineers been behind all of it. Um, and and we, we've got, we have got a perception issue because we think, oh, you know, we're going to be dirty hams and, you know, totally wrong compared to what it is today. And, uh, and this is where we really need to inspire. And, and, you know, it's a job of a leader to inspire and to motivate people to come into that sector. And uh, if you could only just, you know, I, I, I've done lots of talks on this and presentations, you know, you know, you don't, have to, um, you don't have to do many things to inspire when you start to see some of the engines we build for the ships, you know, 100,000 horsepower, 19 decks high, one engine driving, you know, 23,000 containers across the ocean that either goes to the moon and back in nautical miles every year. I mean, this is some engineering feat to do that. And that's just the bit we're doing. You know, there's significantly other opportunities. So perception is everything with our sector, yeah.
0: We've had a, a question in from uh, from Bipin Patel, who, who's uh, who's in the audience today. He's looking at you mentioned diversity and inclusion. How, how important is it to to look at more SMEs and more diverse and include uh, be a bit more diverse and inclusive in in supply and procurement chains? Yeah. Uh, and what steps have you taken to make that difference? Is there anything as well uh, that businesses can help you with as as members of the chamber?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, okay, we. Volkswagen's huge, MAN's huge, et cetera. But, you know, one of the things that I think bigger entities can learn from in SMEs is that, you know, that, that flexibility, that ability to change, which I think is going to be absolutely critical going forward. So what we've done really, we, we've took, I mean, our 140 locations are effectively 140 SMEs, yeah? yeah? So some of them turn over 200 million euros, some of them turn over 10 million euros. So it's it's like a nurturing 140 SMEs which is great and what we've also brought into our acquisition process is we bought a company um, which specializes in hygiene for example a company called HTEC initially we bought 40% because we didn't want to burden it with all the corporate levies and you know all the rules and systems you know give it some freedom to grow because it's not going to grow at our five or ten percent per annum it's going to grow 30 50 100 per annum and therefore you can't restrict it we, we bought um uh, a company in uh, in canada which do some special digitized work again we took 40 percent stake in it because we didn't want to burden it with the corporate levies that somehow would restrict it and make it you know report every month no give it flexibility and i think big companies can learn from smes that Ability to change, you know. Sometimes, if you're Volkswagen, it's like a huge entity takes some time to change. Even though, look, what they've been doing in terms of electrification, which is massive. So, you know, big companies can learn from SMEs, no doubt.
0: Okay, that's that's great. And just uh, another question from uh, from from Julie in the uh, in the membership team. Are there any sort of gaps in any training courses? You know, things that you. you, you immediately say, well, actually, we, we, we know there's a shortfall in this particular skill set or anything like that. I guess it's a very diverse sort of broad church we're looking mm. at, really, isn't it? But it's just a few things that you're sort of seeing in people thinking, well, if you'd only just have that, it, it will be a lot better. Yeah.
1: I think the whole IT digitised world is causing us some some gaps at the moment, and uh, you know I think that, that's an area. And you know, as a nation as well, when I talk about apprentices and and uh, talk about going to university as a nation, we also it's a workforce, yeah. So we need diversity in our workforce for our nation to succeed as well. And the, and and therefore, I think um, on a national level, we should start to look at developing yeah more of that skill set i think because that's going to be even more challenging going forward yeah,
0: yeah. okay and finally when um, uh, i asked this question of all our, our guests on the uh, on the leader series you're no exception you're not you're not going to me. but how, how optimistic are you for the sector
1: i'm super optimistic i mean one i probably have to be it's my job to be optimistic <laughs> if i'm pessimistic then i can drive everybody down no but i'm super optimistic i think uh, of course there's always this question of you know, robots are going to take over or, you know, all of a sudden we're losing our core. And, and of course it's different and it's going to change quicker than ever. But I think at the heart of everything, let, let's take, um, let's take the environment at the heart of that has got to be engineers and scientists that, you know, continue to develop new solutions to generate power in a smart way or whatever it might be. And therefore I think that the, the sector has got an absolute crucial role to play in any changes that will come from from any part of uh, of the challenges the world throws at us. Yeah,
0: excellent, When Thank you so much uh, for that. That's absolutely flown by and has been as informative and interesting and entertaining as as <laughs> ever. So thank you so much. Uh, for taking time out today to, uh, to join us on the leaders series. Uh, and thank you to, uh, to everyone for joining us as well. Uh, our next uh, guest in, in the series on the f- is 1st of February. It's in two weeks' time. and It's Luke Caldwell, uh, OBE, who's uh, from Magnetic North and also the chair the Greater Still Local Enterprise Partnership. So who knows, we may know what the levelling up white paper will say at that stage, which will probably prompt that discussion. If not, I'm sure there's more other things we can uh, we can have a conversation about. Uh, there's nothing, uh, not short of any issues at present. But Wayne, thank you once again uh, for joining us today. That's been absolutely superb. Again, thanks to everyone for, for, for joining us and your questions. Look out for the podcast. Look out for the YouTube video. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, let your friends know and tell them we're running these uh, every fortnight and uh, look out for information about our future events. All it remains for me to say is thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.